As I was mentioning, what I'd like to share with you uh, some Dharma reflections on is one of the things that's been so poignant to me in this last week is how divided the country is that I live in. Have you noticed this? Like it, that was the, one of the most telling things to me about election numbers. Wow, this is a, a deeply divided land that I live in. And when I sat with that and settled down with that, I, I, what was important for me was to have a vision of opening a doorway to a different way of being in the world. And this is something that I'm so grateful about, the practice of the Dharma, the Dhamma, because it gets me to look at the places in my heart where I create divisions, which kind of, to me, is the usual way of being in the world. And I'm really quite interested in a new way of being in the world. So tonight, what is it to open that door of a different way of being in the world? How do we do that? What's a vision of that? What can maybe get in the way? And I think what's important is to begin with, what is the usual way of being in the world? How to articulate that and to get a feeling sense of that and to hopefully relate to it together in some kind of manner. And when I slow down with this quality of division in my own heart and my mind, because I feel it, you know, I feel it probably like many of you have is I notice that my mind gets hooked by this world of us and them. Have you noticed this? And I'm, I'm bringing it up now just because especially around politics and in particular around elections, because then there's numbers of them and there's numbers of us. And then there can be feelings of who's going to win and who's going to lose and it accentuates those groups, sometimes in a very deep way. And I feel like I've been feeling that more and more for a long time, I should say. <laughs> and and uh, the way I wanna situate this is I wanna point out is not only do we have these mind that create, minds that create identities, but also these minds that identify with one group more than another group. And what's important about this is I wanna point out, this isn't inherently bad. Just as creating identity and having identity isn't inherently bad, as long as I'm aware of, aware of it and how to skillfully use it. Just as I, I wanna to learn to use skillfully identity, individual identity, how can I skillfully utilize group identity? And, and can I notice where the heart and mind get hooked by that? With groups and group identity, it does allow me to communicate with all of you. Like we're coming together as a group. And it allows us to create connections and community. That's what's going on with Sangha. We, we cultivate this Sangha by all of us valuing having some general values that are similar around a spiritual path. And hopefully have you felt the safety and support of some groups that you come into? And part of it is because I identify with that group in some way. 
I can say, wow, I can look around and say, I feel relatively safe in this group. And of course, I can see all kinds of differences, but I come to certain groups because there's a kind of identifying with sometimes the values there. But there's also the, the shadow side, which I'm sure all of you are aware of. How when I get stuck in that, I can, it, it can create a, a, a group of outsiders. The sense of entrenched us and them. And it can be tremendously harmful for others and myself. So first of all, have you noticed both of these, how it can be helpful where we identify with a group when we come into groups? And have you noticed how our minds can get hooked by it? And hopefully you're seeing that also in the political world, how much that happens. And really what I notice, and probably you've already noticed as well, is that when our minds get lost in these divisions, diluted by them, lost in the dynamic of us and them, it's difficult to practice genuine kindness and compassion. I can kind of fake it. I feel so much compassion for those people over there. <laughs> you can already hear it in my voice when I say that. There is so much underlying that tone of voice, namely these stark divisions. So first of all, just on the conceptual level, I want to point out that the ways we group people are merely created, uh, are merely, uh, created constructs that our mind creates. In essence, one grouping does not have more validity than another. And I, I want to point this out. And at the same time, one kind of grouping might be more useful for another, but it doesn't mean that it's more valid. So let me give some examples of this. I could easily right, group people based on if they identified as being left-handed or not. It's a valid way of grouping people. And it would be just as valid to group people in terms of their voting behavior. Or I could group folks and myself in terms of people who have broken a leg and those who have not. So all of those are just as valid as each other. And this is important because sometimes groupings can feel more valid than one another. And at the same time, what I want to point out is, yes, certain groupings can be more useful in certain contexts than other uh, contexts. Like we want to be able to group people. So for example, wrongful convictions of innocent people. It's interesting in that context of when an innocent person gets wrongly convicted, if we look at all the people who end up being innocent of a, of a, of a, um, of a crime, and get wrongly convicted and then later on exonerated to group those people according to race. And what pops out is that if you're a black person, you are much more likely to be convicted of something you didn't do than a white person getting convicted of something they didn't do. So that means if you're a black person who's innocent, you're more likely to be wrongly convicted than a white person. That's a really useful grouping, don't you think? Because it shows a systemic dynamic in our judicial system. Useful, not necessarily 
as valid more than others. So us and them and how we can, we can get hooked in that, we can get entrenched in this. Think politics. And I, I wanna uh, frame the rest of what I wanna share with you with a story of the process of stepping through a different doorway into a different way of being out of entrenched us and them into a different way of being. So when I share with you the story, I, I invite you to hear this arc, us and them into something different. And this is a story from the novel, uh, Life and Fate. It's, uh, it was written in the late 1950s, but it wasn't published until the 1980s. It was by a Russian author, Russian and Jewish. Uh, and how he was situated uh, creates a very interesting story for his own life, which I won't get into here, uh, uh, by the name of uh, Vasily Grossman. And there's one story in this novel that is particularly striking. And this short vignette, the, really the whole novel does, but this, this, this short story takes place during the siege of Stalingrad which I need to say that, uh, just a few things about. The Siege of Stalingrad was, um, happened in World War II. And I wanna start by saying the siege of this city was a nightmare. And I'm not exaggerating that. It, it was, uh, many people think probably one of the more, uh, more brutal and uh, uh, battles of World War II. And the way it started was uh, with the German army invading Stalingrad in Russia. And it lasted just over five months, the siege of a city. And it was estimated that 2 million people were killed during the siege. And most of those people were civilians in the city of Stalingrad. So it was horrific. And it moved into the winter of Russia too. So just to keep in mind, Russian winters in terms of this. And towards the end of the siege, basically when the, the remaining Germans had surrendered, there is a scene in which a, a German soldier who had been captured was uh, made to do labor in the city. So here he is doing labor in the city. And there was a group of Russian women watching him. And these women in those five months, remember, had lost brothers and sisters and friends and even sons and daughters and grandchildren because of German soldiers like this one murdering their loved ones. And in this scene, this German soldier, he's carrying the dead bodies of Russians from a cellar. And at that moment, as this group of Russian women see him, he's carrying the dead body of a young Russian girl. And it fills the women with so much rage that at that moment, one of the women is so enraged that she can't take it and she picks up a large brick. And with all of that hatred and vengeance in her heart, she begins walking quickly toward him, 
ready to exact revenge. And as she gets closer, she stops. And then in that moment, she truly sees him. She beholds him, trembling, he's trembling, emaciated, starving, frostbitten, afraid. Beholding she is, she's beholding a human being in front of her deeply suffering. And in that moment, her heart is deeply moved. She drops the brick and puts her hand in her coat and pulls out the remaining piece of bread that she has with her. And offers it up to him saying, please eat this. And then quickly walks away. What does it take to step through that doorway in this manner? To truly see another being, to behold such a being, rather than simply seeing them through this narrow confining lens of us and them. What allows for such a, a turn of the heart? And I want to point out just one or two elements. I think we can expand from this that, that I moved by in this story. And one is a quality that doesn't often get talked about in, in, in Buddhism, but is uh, found there and is so important, which is the quality of humility. And what I mean by humility in this context is it's, it's like I say to another, I don't know your world and I don't fully understand you and I want to. I'm willing to open to you and to be moved by you. That's humility, isn't it? I actually don't understand you. I think I do. I see how you vote. I see the things that you post on Facebook. I see what you read and what you say. I feel like I know you. I know your world and it's wrong. <laughs> 
this is different to begin with. I, I actually don't know your world. I don't understand it. And to have that combined with, I want to, I am willing to open myself to you. To me, this is the turn and I can feel it in my heart. Right? I can see my mind spin around when I confront people that are different to me than me of this world of I'm right, you're wrong. This is how I should explain it. I might tolerate how you're wrong, but I'm right. And you're over there. And since I'm a spiritual practitioner, maybe I'll practice kindness to you and compassion, especially because you're ruining the world and you're wrong. And I need to give you compassion in myself because you're making me feel angry and afraid and I hate you for it. And I'm a Buddhist practitioner and hate is unacceptable. So I think I'll practice some kindness and compassion. <laughs> That's different than humility. In a way, a kind of bowing down. I don't know your world. I don't under fully understand it. And I want to. I'm willing to be moved by you. Did you hear that in the story? From rage, justifiable rage to seeing a suffering other being in the midst of, of her life and how it pulls it, pulls her out of her story into a response. And I, I want to be clear, when I say I don't know your world and I'm willing to be moved by you, it's not necessarily to be open to their ideas and ideology. I, I really am pointing to something deeper. Just this is what I love about the story. It wasn't a, a conversation about ideology. It was an immediate experience of this German soldier's experience. It pulled her out of her story and allowed her to touch his personhood, his beingness. Can you do that to open to the personhood of another, to their beingness, to their heart? And this isn't about condoning actions or ideologies. This is why this is such a perfect story. It, the Germans invading Stalingrad for the, the worst reasons, to annihilate them. It was explicitly said by Hitler to kill all of the men, maybe to capture the women and children, killing them is fine too. That was the ideal. It's not about that, it's about that touching, opening to personhood, to beingness. I think this is what humility gives me. And I'm just sharing with you my own struggle around this. Difference and division is tough because I can see certain ideas and ideology being so harmful that I don't wanna listen. I don't wanna open up, I feel like I already know. And yet that can perpetuate 
a kind of division that I haven't found so helpful. And yes, I want to acknowledge, like I, I'm trying to share with you more the emotional movement of the heart that I found helpful through cultivating this quality of humility in the particular way that I'm defining it. There's different ways of defining it. And at the same time, I want to acknowledge how tricky and complex this can be in certain situ situations. Like I just want to give you a classical one, kind of the, the classical patriarchal dynamic where this can get twisted in a way that's not so helpful. Kind of the classical patriarchal dynamic, probably you know, right? The, the woman listens, listens to the one who has inflicted suffering and that woman is not heard. And then that woman with less power forgives and then the per perpetrator continues on with their same old actions of harm and hurt, right? So there can be a sense of the one who has less power is opening in a way that doesn't change the kind of harm that's happening. So it's important just to acknowledge that, that there are dynamics that are complex around this, systemic dynamics. I don't want to deny those and the complexity of what we're going into. And yet it can be at the same time, I feel like there's a way of harnessing it at certain times that can go beyond the harm of us and them. How can we start to clarify this in our lives? And it's the same with ideas and ideology. You know, as I said, it's not necessary to open to those ideas and ideology, but there's also, just to make it also complex, a place to learn how to listen to those. If they're not, you know, completely off the wall. Like for example, I meant to mention, this is a caveat, <laughs> which is in, uh, in December, I'm gonna offer just for uh, a three week study group for those of you who've done anti-racist work. So really more for people maybe who've been in a study group doing anti-racist work or have looked at that already. So there's some kind of knowledge to read articles that are well thought out that I actually disagree with, but they're well thought out <laughs> to practice listening to ideas that we might disagree with if you're interested in anti-racist work and to think through them and to notice our reactions. It's such an important skill. So if you're interested in that, maybe you could email me. It really is for people that have kind of done some of that anti-racist work. It's, it's to read things that hopefully we'll disagree with and learn how to navigate it. Cause I'm doing it also for me, cause this is where I get hooked. To be in, 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 in communication and, and open to, to different views and how to navigate this. Anyway, back to this, us and them, going beyond us and them. Again, you can email me for that. I'll, maybe I'll put in my email at the, at the end here. I wanna take another step with humility and I wanna point out that this step is super tricky and might not be resonate for everyone. And I wanna situate it in what we're doing on our spiritual path. You could say the all of Buddhist 
practice in terms of Theravada early Buddhism is it's, it's taking up certain perceptions to see the world in a certain way that frees my heart. So for example, I take up the perception of impermanence. It's a great lens to see the world because it begins to free my heart. I get to see the dynamics of my suffering and how my mind complicates it, noticing the perception of dukkha, of suffering. Oh, it's freeing. The perception of not self, not taking things personally. It's a way of seeing the world that frees the heart. Another perception that I find can be powerful in this sense of humility when I'm trying to open to another is to see this other being as a gateway for me a gateway into something that is completely beyond me or a gateway into the infinite, a gateway into that which is sacred. I want to understand and know you because you are a gateway. Your heart is a gateway to touching something that is so beyond me that I can begin to at least touch that is sacred, to see another being in this way. Of course, I'm, I'm taking some of this language from a philosopher, Emmanuel Levinas. Actually, it's this story that he loves so much. And he, he felt like this vision of another being allows us to, to feel authentic compassion. What would it be like to, to behold another person with humility, with this kind of quality? Not to be oppressed by them, but to hear them, to be moved by them. So I think also it's important to, for us to reflect on what gets in the way of me opening to another person that I see as them rather than us. What gets in the way of that humility? What gets in the way of opening up the door to a different way of being? And what I'd like to do is, I'm wondering if you could just put a word or two or a sentence about what you find gets in the way of going beyond divisions, those harmful divisions. What are the hindrances here? What happens in our heart that makes it difficult to go beyond a divided world? What can that be that makes it tough for me Yeah, thanks, Jenny. Harm others they might or have done. Yeah, yeah. So I want to get, yeah. And thanks, Marilyn. My opinions. Yeah. Yeah, the question of where, where, where does it go after this acceptance? Fear, ignorance, sense of self. Yeah, and I want to come to the sense of self. Nama as opposed to Rupa, mentality more so than materiality. Thank you, Julia. Yeah. How the mind is working. Fear of confrontation. Yeah. Fear of rejection. The idea that I know them already. Thanks, Jane. Anger and frustration, not being heard. Okay, I want to mark some of these. Like not being heard is so juicy and someone offends me and hurts me. Gruffy, thanks. Unwillingness for my heart to be broken. Yeah. Well, ain't that the truth? Ego needing to be right. Yeah. 
selfishness. So if you can, maybe just scroll, scroll through these. And I want to take out a few of these because I think some of them are so powerful. So I, I want to share with you just as a gateway into some of these fear of losing myself. Yeah. Defensiveness. Very basic needs not met. Julie, I want to get back to that, which is not what the Buddha taught the king who requested teachings. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this story, right? The woman offers him bread and I find it so moving. She goes home and there's a part of her that's like, I can't believe I did that. I have been so hurt and so damaged by these German soldiers and here my heart opens to them. And what I hear in that, because I've experienced this, I hear the sense of me, or as you said, some of you said, I or selfishness in a way that's harmful. Like I get sucked back into my rage in a way that I can't affirm the heart opening. I get stuck in my world. It gets in the way. And maybe you felt this, right? I want my world to be understood. Like here I am taking all this time understanding your world. What about me and my view? And this, this gets accentuated, but also what some of you mentioned is, is um, not only that, I want you to understand my world and my view, but also you've hurt me. And it's so important for you to understand how you've hurt me and for you to hear that. I'm sick of hearing your world. You need to hear my world. Have you ever experienced this? Makes it tricky, doesn't it? I I can think of so many situations where this is the stumbling block. I've been hurt so deeply and I'm not understood. How can my heart open? And again, I want to name the complexity of this. Like uh, some of you mentioned this, like there, to be recognized is a basic need. It's fundamental to being a human being to be recognized in our world to be recognized. And then it comes into collision with another world. How can you take care of yourself with compassion to soften the heart and to hear another? So I want to point this out of the what gets in the way to show the complexity of this. Like, I'm not here to be like, okay, here's the answer. Okay, we're all going to learn about how we're so divided in this country and you're going to come and in the next 10 minutes, we're going to figure it out. (laughs) Maybe I'd be making a lot more money as a self-help guru if I could do that, but like, (laughs) I just don't believe those schemes. Maybe I'm just too... uh, (laughs) I complicate things too much. 
So I want to acknowledge these dimensions if you've ever found yourself in this kind of situation. And yet I want to keep myself inspired by a story like this. To practice humility, to listen. Because often what happens is when I listen, the other person opens up if I have patience. So one last story about this that I find so striking, probably many of you know about the story of um, this relationship between uh, this uh, guy, Derek Black and Matthew Stevenson. Maybe some of you know who Derek Black and Matthew Stevenson is, maybe not. So Derek Black was um, a former white nationalist. So his godfather was David Duke. His father was the grand wizard of the KKK. And by the time he is 10 or 12, he was already had a radio show speaking to white nationalists. And when he was a teenager, big TV organizations were interviewing him. And he was quite a personality. And so he goes to college in Florida and somebody kind of knows him, this, this guy, um, Matthew Stevenson. And remember, Matthew Stevenson is at the college and he is an Orthodox Jew on campus. And Matthew decides, hey, I think I'm gonna invite Derek to Shabbat every week. So I just want you to pause with that idea. Orthodox Jew, white nationalist. And they spent a lot of time not talking about these dynamics of hate. And, uh, and actually Derek Black came to Matthew's Shabbat service for two years. And a lot of that time was just connecting. And what I hear in that is this ability to open to the other, both of them opening to the other in a way. And I hear just in that a humility. I don't know you and I want to know you. I want to understand your world. And yeah, during those two years, once they started to connect and Derek started to connect with others, there was a kind of reckoning with ideas and being really clear, sometimes strongly clear of, of how things hurt across lines around how white nationalism really feels like it's filled with hate. And it was through that that Derek had this amazing transformation. He left the white nationalist organization. He speaks so much about the transformation and about the, the, the horrors of white nationalism. But it came through what I would call this humility And it's amazing, they're still friends. It wasn't like Matthew was like, I need to change this person and he needs to come to Shabbat. They're friends, they still hang out. There's something powerful about that. And yeah, it's difficult when we've been hurt and our worlds have not been heard. I think such ways, ways of being can allow for a different world to appear. And I'd like to share just as a way of ending, just a, a few lines 
from towards the end of this novel, Life and Fate by Vesely Grossman, where you can hear his valuing that even in the midst of such horror, there can still be a way forward filled with life and light. He says, somehow you could sense springtime more vividly in this cool forests than on the sunlit plain. And yes, there was a deeper sadness in the silence than in the silence of autumn. And at the same time in it, you could hear both a lament for the dead and the furious joy of life itself. It was still cold and dark, but soon the doors and shutters would be flung open. Through humility and openness, can we fling open the doors and the shutters into a new way of being beyond harmful division? So thank you. Thank you for your attention. Maybe just end just to see if there's any uh, comments or questions and doesn't have to be, but just to leave a space open for that if needed. And you can either write something in the chat or unmute yourself. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.